This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, his very first job in show business was filling out an address book that was being used as a prop in a movie. He decided right there and then he wanted more out of his life. Welcome award-winning film editor Robert Nassau to the podcast. A-okay. everyone. My guest today is Rob Nassau. Rob is an award-winning film and television editor. Some of his illustrious film credits include The Big Sick, Hello, My Name is Doris, A Feudal and Stupid Gesture, Juliet Naked, Wonderlust, and Super Troopers 2. For television, meaning Netflix, he has edited Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp, Wet Hot American Summer, Ten Years Later, for Network, Royal Pains, Funnier Die, Michael and Michael Have Issues, Horrible People, and Weenie Days. Welcome, Rob Nassau, to the podcast. Thank you. One thing that did not go unnoticed by me is uh, how often the same directors have hired you to do stuff over and over again. And I think that tells us a lot about the kind of person you are to work with. Would you say that that's true? Sure. You know, by the way, I, I was distracted because I was hearing you reading the bio. Yeah. And um, uh, I neglected to tell you until now, there are mm. much better people for you to be interviewing. All right. Uh, much more accomplished editors. But okay. I didn't want to tell you that in advance. Yes. Well, you know what? But it, they're it not is... my friends. And you are. And so this show is about me getting to do two things. Share um, talent with listeners and share people that I'm personally proud of with listeners. So it doesn't just have to be a show where an editor comes on. It has to be a show where an editor comes on who I find to be an incredible person, not just an incredible editor. So that's why you're here. So don't fail me, Rob. I'll try my best. By the way, this is my first interview. So you've really scored a coup. Ever? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 
That's interesting. I mean, that I can think of. On a podcast. On a podcast, for sure. All right. Well, then let's just think of this as the day you did your first of many. Okay. Because this really is a stepping stone <laughs> to a lot of other podcasts. Um, one of the Gross. reasons, Terry Gross, I'm Mark Maron, they're you. all here. So, so as I said, I think that um, David Wayne, Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black, among others, are consistently the creative team behind most of the the um, credits that I read of yours. So many listeners will know those guys from Stella, which was a comedy group that they formed and then made television as. How Wayne Days is one of the first web series I remember watching and falling in love with, along with Children's Hospital and other others that you've done. How did you meet the people that ended up being these longtime collaborators of yours? I met them through a mutual friend, Jonathan Stern, who was producing Wainy Days. And um, he convinced me to edit Wainy Days. Uh, I didn't actually use the software they were using to edit that show, so I had to learn it. And uh, at the time, I was editing documentaries and reality shows during the day. Is that how day. you started? Was that yes. your, first, um, your first gigs? Yeah. I have a, a long and sordid history in media in which I've worked in kind of every genre. I just kicked around New York for a decade doing whatever people would hand me. Did you go to film school? I did. I went to art school to RISD. Um, in Rhode Island. In Rhode Island. That's the R-I of RISD. That's the R. Moved to New York out of school. My first gig was like in the art department on um, features in New York. And I uh, kind of looked around at the crew and sort of wondered, well, who's actually making the film here. My job, it was a Hal Hartley movie. Which one? Um, amateur. Uh-huh. My job that summer was to fill in a character's address book, which I spent, <laughs> which I all summer, I worked really hard on it. That address you know. book will soon be found in the Smithsonian. Yeah. And it's on screen for like one second, of course. I kind of thought, well, that was, you know, satisfying, but I want to make movies. And um, who who's actually making the movie? There's like a writer, obviously, um, the director. Um, the the uh, DP, who's often handling heavy cameras, so that doesn't quite seem like me. And uh, the producer's on his phone a lot. I don't know what he does. <laughs> Maybe the editor. <laughs> so I thought I'd try it. And um, 20 years later, I'm still doing it. Were you but an my... intern somewhere when you first started? Or how did you, who was the first editor that let you watch them do their work? Well, here's another way that I have a kind of unusual background. I think it's becoming a little more common now. The traditional route in Hollywood is that um, you go to work as an assistant editor and you do that for a decade and you're mentored and you work your way that way. I started at the transitional time between film and nonlinear computer-based editing. So right did before I left school... Did you ever cut pieces of film with a scissor? I, I was that how you... Was well, there ever scissor, a time yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> yeah. with, with film... Razors. What did you use? What, yeah, the little yeah, machine, the right? Yeah, the splicer. Thank yeah, you. I couldn't yeah. think of the word. Yeah, we did that in college. And I did one job for a week on film that was a trailer for an independent movie. So, yeah. So you did begin but, like they did it in the olden days. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I happened to learn the software um, just before leaving school. What was it called back then? It's Avid. It's the same software. Okay. Um, and uh, basically skipped the whole idea of being an assistant. I assisted on a PBS show for something like six weeks and was hired by a great editor, Paula Heredia, to work on a documentary um, with Adam Yauch of the Beastie Boys. And she was sort of my mentor for a year. And I worked with Adam closely for that year. And we made a 
documentary and concert film called Free Tibet. So I just kind of leapt in and from there just kicked around and did whoever called me. So I did music videos, I did uh, commercials, I did political ads. Um, I worked at 60 Minutes, reality TV, cop shows. So by the time I started doing sketch comedy, and by the way, all through that my natural inclination was to make things funny. Okay. Um, I just couldn't help it. Well, I remember Free Tibet as being a hilarious. <laughs> well, we were. It was um, the silliest film about human rights abuses. Uh, I remember Adam and I talking about that because we couldn't resist. Some levity. Um, yeah. Far too much of it, probably. It's hard to expect real serious intentions with any sort of freeform rock concerts with millions of kids. But... Um, I, I think, you know, just raising awareness and uh, some of the speeches were really nice. I, I, I think, I th I think um, that's about the best, <laughs> I don't know, that dumb rock stars can do. I want to just ask you a question before we go on to all of the hilarious things that you've edited that I've enjoyed. When you think back to that first teacher, right, who, mm -hmm. who you was your mentor, are there things that you learned then that you still use today? Were there some takeaways for you that were like, whether it's documentary, reality TV, sketch comedy, or <clears throat> a dramatic film that you would still use in how you approach it? Yes. Every job teaches you something, and every scene of every movie teaches you something, and every day you learn something. So it's, I mean... How, it's cumulative have in that way. Um, yeah, three weeks. I, we have three I, weeks, Rob. <laughs> I did when I was doing documentaries. I kind of made a study of like performance and how long, how long does it take people to react when somebody says something? I kind of count the frames, you know, and sort of measure it in terms of like when the viewer that, is impacted by what they're hearing or the people on screen kind of with like each a other. Study of in real life, yeah. quote unquote, real life. That is documentary footage. What what does it look like when something happens, unfolds in real time? Kind of with an eye to in scripted narrative, you're recreating that feeling, that rhythm. So, yeah. And by the time I did sketch comedy, I had already done so many of these of the actual things we were parodying that I had sort of a basis or just a notion of how to approach different genres. Right. But that's really and, interesting. The idea of taking having started in reality, which is, I mean, really reality, which is documentary, right? Not, uh, not a mocking of reality. And really trying to piece together when you make a film, which is a fictionalized version of this, how to make that human behavior seem realistic. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's the job. You know, movies are this crazy thing in which um, an idea is translated into words on a page, which gets translated into action, which gets captured by some technology, which then becomes a time-based thing that unfolds in front of you and ultimately becomes the idea again, right? You, you end up taking away from the end of that whole process the idea the writer had going into it on some level. Yeah, best case scenario. So it still astounds me how that happens. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. It's a life cycle. Yeah. So I'm going to be introducing you guys. Um, is one of you headlining? Uh, yeah, me. Yeah, I'm headlining. I'm headline tonight. Mike's going to warm up. I'm going to headline, and he's going to warm up. Too. Yeah. He'll go out there and get them in a good mood, and then I'll go out there and show them how it's done. I don't want to put your students in a situation where they see me, the headliner, followed by the opener. Does that make sense? I just don't want to disappoint your students. Right. Because you've got your tight five that I love. Start the show already. 
he'll come out and he'll do his same set that he's been doing for the last four or five years, and it'll be great. It's always great. It always makes people like laugh on the inside, and then I'll just go out there and shed light on the human experience, which is what I always do. And I'm going to tell jokes yeah. and be funny. Yeah, to some people. A lot of people think he's kind of boring. Not me. I think you're hilarious. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. How did you meet the the Stella crew? Obviously, yeah, there was so, there was sketch comedy happening in your editing life. Yeah, two of the main directors I worked for are Michael Showalter and David Wayne, and I actually started working for them separately. They didn't know that I was working with the other guy you were until cheating. at some point in <laughs> you were we were all were in a room together. Both of them. Right. It's kind of like I'm doing Paul McCartney's project, and I'm also doing John Lennon's. Well, I think but, Michael and David would be thrilled that you just compared them to Paul McCartney and John Lennon, yeah. so it's all good. So I, I started working with them, and um, yeah, I, I think you just try and keep whatever director or producer you're working with happy, and they kind of keep recommending you to their friends. And before I know it, I'd worked with every member of the state, that group of 11 brilliant people. I think I was a little bit immune uh, just because I'm closer in age to them. I had never watched the state, so mm-hmm. I had no, I was not in awe. Right. Was able to um, give it to them straight when I... To be a colleague and a comrade rather than a, a, a sycophant. Yeah. I think they appreciate that. We also, in New York, we tend to be a surlier bunch, the New York editors. Dark and mean, mm-hmm. grumpy. Yeah. Um, Why? Well, I, th- I think actually it, it relates to that background where you're you're building on all kinds of different experiences. Um, I think what what making all those different kinds of programs taught me that's a little different is that I don't I don't wait. I just believe in just having a vision for it as an editor and making it and then being flexible to change it any which way, but to go in with a very strong perspective. Um, and is that something that you talk about before filming even begins? We talk about the meaning of what the what the movie is, what we're going for, but a lot of it's um, not necessarily verbalized. But as an editor, like if you think about pre-production of a film, involves all the hiring that goes on, right? For someone who's done it, it's obvious. And for someone who's listening who's never been involved in the making of the film, that's everything from where the locations are going to be that you shoot the film in to who's going to do the makeup to the food, like every single aspect of the film, who's driving the vans that pick up the actors. So where does the editor come in? Do they show you the script as they're writing it and start thinking about it from an editor's perspective? Like, Rob, is this feasible? From an, Like, how does it work? Yeah, we'll we'll look at the script. We'll get the script early on, and we'll we'll be one voice among many, just giving an opinion. Um, and that's that's part of the job of the director is to take in advice from everywhere and synthesize it. You know, other than that, uh, we get the footage when it's ready, and then complain about everything that's wrong about it. Uh, Great. Yeah. But do you call up and go, the, the lighting is wrong, or this is not going to work, or or do you sort of have communication while they're still shooting and in production as you get the dailies? Are they still called dailies? Yeah. Are you saying, this is good, this is not good, you might have to reshoot this? Yeah. We talk every day um, about how the previous day went or what's coming up and um, how we view the scene. And, you know, on day two, you're cutting day one's scenes and showing them. But um, the editor uh, definitely suggests footage we think we need or things that didn't quite work and should be reshot. That does happen. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that so many people who listen to this show are obviously lovers of all things entertainment, but many of them are actors. And 
the way I've kind of had some, you know, outside-the-box guests from casting directors to producers to writers, I thought it would be really fun to focus on um, if you were thinking of this as a, as a master class from an editor's perspective for actors, things that you could maybe share with us that we are so not aware of because so often you go see the thing and you're cut out and often as is the case, the director will have called you and said, you know what, we just realized story-wise this part of the story no longer moved our film forward in the way we thought it would, the way it was on the page. I had a, a hilarious and heartbreaking moment with Larry David. I was in an episode of Seinfeld called The Contest, which was a popular episode, and I was with Larry recently, and uh, I... What are you doing? Getting a getting a pen. Oh, <laughs> Are you, it's a doodle. Take, I'm are you taking notes? Yeah, I am. <laughs> now I'm very nervous. No one's ever. No, anyway. I didn't want to interrupt, but I didn't realize you were in that episode. Yes. And so originally when I shot that episode, mm-hmm. I was in more scenes. And I I bumped into someone uh, who was like, oh, we're putting together this um, CD coll- uh, DVD collection. And there's all this commentary on it. And we we have put back in your, your missing scene. Um, and and I was like, oh, I was always wondering about that. And he's like, yeah, the episode was to- too long. He's like, even in half hour, sometimes we overwrite and some things. So I told Larry yeah, David that story. Seinfeld was famous for that. I, I think guess they, so. Yeah, yeah. But what Larry told me is if it wasn't in it, it's because it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and he no, said not it true. with so much love. And I was like, okay, Larry David, if anyone would know. But, yeah. but so anyway, sometimes it's because... They've gone over, and sometimes they didn't think it was good. When you're shooting, especially comedy, uh, you want to overshoot. I mean, the worst thing is to when not have enough. Is to not have enough, um, and to have to stretch things out to fill a time. That's right. a kiss of death. I right. mean, you want to have an embarrassment of riches, um, to use the cliche. Well, um, thank you, Rob, because I believe that that missing scene, which can now yeah. be found on this DVD collection. I think people will agree that it was actually very funny and Larry is misremembering. I, I recently cut a, an actor out of a movie entirely and he was terrific. He was so good. I am so in love with this actor. And um, it just, uh, it couldn't be saved, as they're saying, for story reasons. It, you know, it had nothing to do with the actor's performance. It, it had to do with the structure of the story and, you know, Ultimately, it's the the main characters who really matter. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, supporting characters often fall by the wayside. So, um, if you are a a smaller role in something, yeah, obviously, if if you're Keanu Reeves, you're going to have you know huge conversations with everyone about what's in, what isn't in. But if you're a normal person, yeah, don't tell everyone that you're in the movie until you see it. Good, good tip. Yeah. Was that your question? <laughs> well, that is one of that's that's a very like great um, lesson and takeaway, um, and should be in every fortune cookie in every Chinese restaurant on the planet. But what are things that end up getting someone cut out e- without them understanding why? Not having to do with script stuff, or what are the things that stay in, or what are any like tricks? Yeah, uh, ultimately, I think the difference between a good performance, a bad performance is just context. It's 100% context, you know, so non-actors are great given the right role and they're asked to do the right, right. thing. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. The way actors are amazing is the that they can make real these strange situations and things they're asked to do. Well, you've um, also had to, to edit a lot of improv 
versus scripted. I mean, I imagine that's a very different animal to work with. Yeah, it's a different process, um, and it's great. Uh, it gives you um, choices. <clears throat> the worst part of editing is watching um, take after take that are exactly the same and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's different about them. But even in those cases, I study kind of each read of each line and like the old school ways, the director would circle a take, you know, use take four, moving on. Right. Um, nowadays, partially thanks to the technology, we, we can look at each line individually and think about... Mixing and matching. Mixing and matching. And uh, sometimes you're mixing and matching audio and leaving the picture the same. And there are all kinds of things. So getting away from your question there. Which is, imagine a group of actors in front of you hoping to learn some secrets about well, what makes great film performances. Obviously, the main thing is to relax. I'm looking for truth, you know, to be natural. And... Um, Try to be good all the time so we don't have to cut, but um, you only really have to do it once. You know, assuming the editor is reliable enough to find that one gem. Um, I, I went into a movie a while ago where people were kind of freaking out about one of the actors, and I kind of went in and just did the step-by-step -step work of finding the best read of each line and putting it together. They said, oh, she's really good. And I was like, yeah, she has to do it once. Yeah. You know? So I know but, that's uh, the beauty of it. You're safer if um, you make every take truthful, but it doesn't always have to happen. When you hear people say, like, oh, the camera really loves her, or the camera really loves him, what does that mean to you? You know, people talk about it's really small, and the camera, you know, sees everything, and just it can be really internal. And yeah, I always I wonder know. what that means. Do you feel no, like there are people who could who don't work on film? It doesn't work? Uh, again, it's context. Um, some people have a way about them that you just want to watch, but it's, like, different for... For all different people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know what phrase um, I always perk up when I hear is that an actor has a great sense of timing. That's our job as editors. And so I usually think, well, they, they might or they might not. Right. But you're going to make <laughs> it look like they do. Uh, yeah. Um, it helps if they do. Mm -hmm. Because, um, again, then you can cut less. In the movie you did with Michael Showalter, um, with Sally Field, she is someone who, my name is Doris? Yeah. Hello, my name is Hello. Doris. Hello. My name is Doris. That is an actress who's worked for a very long time, who has done many different sorts of roles, uh, has grown up in front of the camera. What was that like? She's just genuinely incredible. Yeah, that was one where every take was something interesting and slightly different than other takes, yet consistent. She actually, um, I didn't know this at the time, she mapped out her character's journey uh, before shooting, because, you know, we shoot so out, out, of, order. out of order. And she's she's doing a lot, you know. Uh, it's a big it, character. It, yeah, and, and it, it really worked. That was, um, it was just a thrill to edit. Hey, Doris. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for the coffee earlier. Also, sorry if I was rude. Anne's been on me about the December catalog since I got here been kind of a thing. No, it's okay. I understand. Cool. All right. Is that a baby Goy on the Nuclear Winter CD? Yes. It's my favorite band. You're kidding. I wow, wouldn't have thought that you'd be into electronic music. Oh, I am. I'm, I'm a real music person. I like, you know, electronic and doo-wop and show tunes. You're a baller, Doris. Straight up. 
Thank you. Found it. You know, as as editors too, we're um, we kind of approach it like actors. I work at home a lot, and my daughter uh, once commented, um, she saw me working, and she's like, "Why are you making those faces?" And I realized I was making the face that I kind of wanted. Like if I wanted someone to laugh, I'm kind of scrolling through footage with this weird grimace on my face, kind of looking for the thing that I that want to happen. That matches your face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking You're for, I, 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 I yeah. sort of go in with a feeling that I want, of course, I'm responding to what the actors are doing, but I'm also kind of searching. It. That's hilarious. I remember the scene, uh, Sally Field has a big dramatic scene in that movie. When she's fighting with Tyne Daly or? Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of when um, her brother and therapist show up to move her, some of her hoarding. Yeah. To take out some of her things. What about this uh, bowl of shampoo bottles? Uh, Keep. Really? Yes. Doris? Yes. Keep. You really think you're going to need all these shampoo bottles? There may be a shortage one day, and then people have to come to me for shampoo, and I I really... What? What? What are you doing? No, I am no, getting rid no, of useless no, 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 This is something I want. This means something to me. This means something exhausted at the end of the day having cut it. I felt like I was crying all day, even though mm-hmm. I was really just watching her. Mm-hmm. But she was heartbreaking. Yeah. And and this was also an incredible moment, I thought, from Showalter, uh, that the way he covered it. We did like two or three unbroken takes of the entire scene. It was like eight minutes, nine minutes long, you know, when you take the full thing we shot. Just kind of let them go, but not in a way that was stale or not dynamic. Um and the, the kind of most dramatic part we used of her, I don't recommend this for all actors, but Sally Field can do it. <laughs> she wasn't feeling it. And she kind of half in character said, hey, can we go back? Just take a step back, you know, and then launched into it again. She didn't quite break from character. She didn't quite stay in character either. And um, well, she, she kind of backed up a few. I'm in a movie and I need to go back yeah. and do it again. Right. She, she didn't plow through in this case is a key moment. Most mm-hmm. of the time she... Could, Kept going you know, and did yeah, it. Yeah, did everything. But um, I just remember uh, thinking that was really interesting. That, that she, she could be in character and also take a moment as Sally to tell everyone what was happening. Yeah, she so kind of understood, not only understood the character, but her place in the movie. That's amazing. I, I Oh, I, I have yeah. more rules. I want to hear want, all hear of them. more rules. Yeah, teach break, me. Yeah, break character as late as possible. As an actor, break character, what does that mean? Like when the director says cut, just like, don't immediately start um, juggling or whatever it is you do between takes because they always call cut too early. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And sometimes there's gold. Yeah, yeah. We use this stuff between takes a lot. It's more than you would think. My theory in that is that um, everybody's trying to catch this thing that's needed for the movie and they're kind of not thinking about the in between moments that we also need. So sometimes you go between takes and you just find someone just sitting there and my favorite reaction shot is like just not doing anything that to me is the funniest thing when somebody says something outrageous and you cut to the person and their face is completely blank you which know? might not be so. the actual 
response at the time. You've taken it from another moment. Yeah, but it works quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. that's magic. <laughs> yeah, that's movie magic. All right, I like that. Um, I'd say uh, don't do the exact same thing in every take because it's not even a matter of um, us using version A or version B. So often I take part of A and part of B and part of C and I kind of build a new thing. I mean, particularly in uh, comedies where you want to build on the jokes. Um, I remember there was one. Okay, so this is in, in Wanderlust. That's Paul Rudd and Jen Aniston. Yeah. And Showalter. Uh, David no, Wayne, uh, directed Wayne directed that. Directed. Yeah. Um, there was a line, uh, Justin Theroux's character, the movie takes place in a hippie commune and he's like the leader of the hippies. And uh, they were just getting into a scene and he's like pointing out a thing on the wall and he says, uh, that's a God's eye. You know, the string concoction. So he did that in one take. Take two, he said, uh, I made it myself. And then <laughs> take three, he said, uh, that's a God's eye. I made it last Kwanzaa. You know, I, I ended up, oh, all those are great. I just combined them to a line that was like, that's a God's eye. I made it myself. Last Kwanzaa. You know, and he gave you that. He gave you that for free. Yeah, he yeah. gave us those lines. I mean, but that's someone who's it, present enough and comfortable enough to go off script like that. Yeah, or maybe he got fed that line. I don't yeah. know. But the point is, like, any one of those was funny. To me, the combination of them was the, the trifecta. And, you know, and, and so we're doing that kind of stuff all the time. So, George, I hear Eva asked to intercourse with you. What? Yeah. Thanks, Seth. Uh, that was uh, what I was going to tell you. Uh -huh. Apparently, at Elysium, they practice free love. And uh, Eva uh, suggested that we try it. What did you tell her? Uh, no. I said, I said no. I mean, we didn't finish the conversation, but I was about, and I, I will, and did say no. It's just biology. Homo sapiens weren't meant to be monogamous creatures. I don't know. It just, that just all sounds to me like an excuse for everybody just to get into bed together. If you want to pick a fight with your body's sexual chi, it's just going to drive it inwards. And that invites disease and death. Man, I'm not a fan of death. Are those your two? Are um, there any more on that yeah, piece I, of paper I there? Think, I think the main one is to, like, go for it, but also do nothing. Does that make sense? Yes, that but that's really sense. hard. <laughs> yeah, I think I know. that's what everyone is searching for. God, thank God I'm not an actor. That's I know. Horrible. You know, when you we're going to have so much of you putting that cap on and off that water bottle, Rob. Uh, clearly, you're not an ADR editor. First interview, like I said. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving all of that in just to make you. Can I chew gum? <laughs> if you could chew gum. Um, and have dry mouth at the same time. It will be a real joy. Yeah. It's kind of like when you talked about now he's moving his pen back and forth in front of the microphone. <laughs> Let's see if I can get a good knuckle crack. Uh, yeah. All right. Do you All know right, what I'm, I'm going to do? Can I tell you what I'm going to do? Yeah. For the very first time, when we are done, I'm sending you this episode to edit. Call my agent. Yeah. Um, scale. It's scale. Um <laughs> Anyway, I think that when you were talking about don't cut or break character, I think we are all looking for human behavior to feel organic. And it is very hard in such false circumstances to sustain organic, honest human behavior with 75 people standing around and all the stuff happening a second before they call action and I think it's a, a real challenge for actors. And those who can do that, 
that's a real gift to stay in your body and to stay focused and to remember your lines and all of the things, all the more so when you're not the lead. All the more so when you come in, you're there for one day, you don't know anyone, you have relationships with no one, maybe you got cast off a tape, uh, and so you don't even know the family you've just been adopted into for a day. And that's really hard, and I know it must be exciting for you when a day player knocks it out of the park and sort of adds this, elevates the thing for a moment, because it's hard to do. Yeah. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. The Big Sick was a really big deal. It was a, a small movie that broke through. I mean, obviously, having Judd Apatow, it's not a traditional indie film in that no one fancy and grown up was attached to it. Um, but be that as it may, it really resonated with audiences in a really big way. And you've done a lot of stuff, but obviously that must be a great feeling to make something that people love so much and became really popular. Was that a wonderful process for you? Yeah, it's a special movie. You know, when I'm working on something, I'm so in the trenches, I can never tell. I kind of think everything... Like what's going to pop and what's not going to yeah, pop. It all I, feels yeah, wonderful. It all feels great and terrible. Um, in the same way, uh, each yeah, time. Yeah, so um, I definitely was pleased with the way everything was going, but I could have imagined it coming out and not doing much, and I would have been like, yeah, okay, that happens. <laughs> do you know so, why it resonated um, in the way it did? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it has to do with Kumail and Emily's story, and as well as all the actors. The thing I guess I'm proud of is that I didn't screw it up. That's an understatement. <laughs> you did not screw it up. That was very reassuring, wasn't it? Apparently, there are good and bad comas, and the kind that they put around the medically induced coma are definitely like the good kind of coma. Like, you know how there are good and bad carbs. Gremlins, those can be good or bad. Listen, come on. Uh, We're going to handle things from here, okay? You've been very helpful. Thank you for for signing the thing. Yeah, my pleasure. But uh, you can go now. Okay. Um, All right. All right. Peace in the middies. Did Judd Apatow weigh in? Was he involved in the cutting process of this movie? Yeah. The the structure, in case your listeners don't know, is um, normally the editor gets the footage and makes what we call the editor's cut. Um, the director has a certain number of weeks. You work together with the director. You make a director's cut. Then the producers come in, and, you know, and all these changes happen down the line. Usually the process is more jumbled than that. Um, but um, it became Mike and I and Kumail and Emily and Barry Mendel and Judd together deciding what we liked, what goes in, what doesn't go in. Is that um, normal to have that many people involved on a daily basis, or was this a unique situation? Not entirely unusual, but everyone on that list, plus the actors, are all strongly opinionated. So that was Meaning Holly Hunter great. or Ray Holly Romano Hunter, might have something to say about yeah, the they cuts? Yeah, or... um, they didn't weigh in, the, in uh, on the cuts, but they just have strong, they just brought strong ideas to the process. And we all had a pretty clear vision, I think, of of where we were going with it. Like, I think where problems happen are when people have a totally different idea of what the movie is. For example, is it a comedy or not? Yeah. <laughs> and we all knew it was, it was both. What well, was like real life. 
the the thing I wanted to ask you about that is I know just from reading about it that that was a film where, to use Holly Hunter as an example, she was kind of involved for a while before you guys started shooting. So she really had weighed in and been a part of the creation of this character. Can you tell when you're editing when a film cast itself pretty quickly and jumped into shooting versus when there was the luxury of rehearsal and actors who really had time. I mean, obviously, Mm. Wet Hot American Summer, 10 years later, these are people who had played those parts, stayed in touch with each other, really knew who they were, had improvised the first time so much of who they were and could come back and, like, have a family reunion. I, I imagine, maybe I'm fantasizing that they could all jump back in. But generally, actors don't have that much time to really, it's not a play. You don't get to rehearse. You don't get to luxuriate and think about. Can you tell? No, probably not. I I sometimes marvel at what some actors are doing, Mm -hmm. but I'm not aware of what their process is and how they get into it. Uh, A Futile Stupid Gesture, the movie I just did with um, David Wayne. About the Harvard Lampoon. Donald Gleason. I think I spend a lot of time marveling at how great his accent was and how he stayed in it. Between um, takes. Between takes to keep himself. Yeah. He would break it apparently on like Friday afternoon, like Friday evening when they wrapped and then everyone would be like, whoa, who's this Irish guy? Ideas for a magazine. Yeah. Fill up a magazine with words and sentences. Humorous. humorous Preferably magazine. funny. Preferably funny. I'm going to write down comedy. That's good. Let's Let's build on that. I bet Chris and George have a few ideas. Maybe we should find some writers who didn't go to Harvard. I'm sorry, I don't quite understand. You mean like a Yaley? You know, that reminds me of the, that I was thinking about how the actors and the editor, it's such a strange collaboration because we don't actually know each meet other or work together. Yeah. But we're really, we really are collaborating just at different times. There was a, um, so back to that Sally Field movie, um, that same scene that we were talking about earlier, the sort of dramatic scene. There was a moment um, where Sally was doing something just on her own. It wasn't part of, I think, what it, she had discussed with Michael, where she was talking to um, Elizabeth Reeser's character. She was turning her head and looking at Wendy McClendon Covey's character and just kind of looking back and forth. And um, I picked up on that and started cutting very fast, creating a very tense moment in what could have just played as a just a very straightforward bit of dialogue. And Michael commented when I had my first cut that he really appreciated that I picked up on that thing that Sally was doing that he didn't ask her to do. And And it it got woven into the story, into what we see. I was building to her big blow up and she was giving me something interesting to work with. Yeah. Do you still love what you do? Um, Yes. Why? Love and hate. Yeah. Um, Well, we editors are the ones who get to make the movie. We're the first ones who get to see it, uh, which is sort of endlessly exciting. The actual um, work of getting there is, as I guess, right there in the word, work. And it's not always fun. But it's sort of like each day I have a new scene to conquer. And every day I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I've started to trust by the end of the day I'll figure it out. And usually I do. And that's satisfying. Well... I have to say, as someone who loves, I feel like the brand of show you edit is so the brand of comedy I love so much. It's it's like if I dreamed up a kind of comedy that I could watch, it is what you make. And 
the number of hours from Children's Hospital to Wayne Days to Michael and Michael and on and on and on has brought me so much joy. And I just get to say thank you uh, personally to all the creators of that material. It's hilarious and kind of the perfect social commentary. I think I like it so much because it's not mean. Thank you for being on the show, and I hope we can have more conversations in the future. Thank you, Rob Nassau. Thank you. We did it. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.